Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in and welcome back to the channel. Uh, I'm Jared Stark, I'm the uh, Grand Poobah at Billet Media. Uh, and I've started this YouTube channel to uh, hopefully provide some useful content to people who are looking at either getting into the film and television production business, the video production business, uh, who are looking to do social media videos, or just looking to make a name for themselves, or more importantly, maybe make some income uh, in the film and television production business. Today, I am very blessed and pleased to have with me Ono Wida, who is the, uh, who's a fairly well-known cinematographer, DOP, and uh uh, and, and camera guy uh, extraordinaire uh, in the Toronto area. delivery and laundering operation all in one. So this is what we know. This is not a pharmaceutical drug. All right, let's move. He's worked on shows like In the Dark, uh, worked on the Umbrella Academy, and uh, Ono can uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about his background and what he's done um, both to get into the business and also what he does now on a regular basis. So, Ono, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the business? Oh, my gosh. That's, uh, you know what? Actually, no, it's, it's actually kind of an interesting story. Um, it was around 1990-ish. Um, you know, I was just coming off of Oz in grade 9, grade 10 of, of high school. And I was living overseas. And I found at the time I'd come home. And like on home leave and I tell my, you know, my family and friends and I'd say, oh, yeah. So I encountered this and this, you know, like I was living in Indonesia at the time. And I tell stories about living in Indonesia. And it found like as soon as I said this story, they didn't believe me. Yet as soon as I was able to have a picture and back then it was all, you know, analog film. So it was, you know, basically a print and I held up a print and I showed them a picture. Then all of a sudden they believed me. And so all of a sudden they're going, OK, so you know what? People don't believe the stories I tell because it could be fictional. Yet, if it's a hard proof picture, because I mean, back then, Photoshop didn't exist. Photo manipulation wasn't even a thing. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, proof's in the pudding. So I was like, you know what? There we go. That's that's kind of what I want to do. I want to be a storyteller, uh, but visual. And yeah, try to combine those two. You sort of lean into being a cameraman. So early on, I was looking at trying to just be a cameraman. I was thinking more just broadcast, you know, TV. So coming back to Toronto, you know, like places like CTV were the places that jumped up. And I was like, all oh, right, cool. You know, music videos, you know, sort of man on the street kind of interview kind of stuff is what I was right. looking at. Run and gun, which has so, kind of become the, the norm now. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And so I went to Sheridan College in Oakville, studied there for uh, three years. Um, and the one thing I did is after the first year during the summer, I sort of did my work placement and I, through the DNF school, he hooked me up with two other camera guys who had graduated two or three years before I did, uh, or at that present time. And they were corporate video guys. So I started with them following them along and just assisting, you know, I remember one of the first days guy comes up and goes, Hey, uh, will you go grab the Apple box out of the truck? And I go, absolutely. What's you know, an, an Apple box? box yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like, you know, like, uh, you know, I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't admit I don't know. So of course I know what an Apple box is. 
Right. So I walked to this truck and oh my God, you know what? I walked back with the, my head down, <laughs> complete shame. I had no idea what an Apple box was. I was actually thinking, <laughs> of, you know, is it more like, like a little box with like tangerines in it, but maybe four apples or something. <laughs> anyway, so that's where I learned very quickly going, you know what? If you don't know, just tell people. People are so willing to help out and help you out. But if you're going to lie to them, you're going to get busted. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, there's the Apple box story. So I did that for a summer. Um, and by the end of the summer, I mean, it was what, three months of the summer. And how old would you have been at this time? Uh, this would have been around 94. So I was 20. You know, I was 20 working, uh, you know, corporate videos as, as an assistant um, and doing infomercials as well. Uh, as an assistant, just sort of, uh, you know, let's say a bit more than, you know, a PA. So I wasn't, you know, duties of, of like grabbing a coffee wasn't my part. But, you know, helping out with the camera, reloading the cameras, you know, the, you know, corp or sorry, not the corporate videos, but the infomercials were three or four cameras. So I'd sometimes be holding the cables, making sure that the cameras could move uh, on their pedestals or in charge of changing tapes and, and stuff like that. So more, I don't want to call it glorified, but yeah, upgraded PA, but dedicated straight to camera. Um, and I, I loved it. I mean, at the time, I think I was making maybe $250 a, a day kind of thing. And I was sitting there going, wow, it was a, it, I'll be honest, it was a struggle to go back to school. Because at a certain point, I was working five days a week, I'm sitting there going, my God, on a good month, I'm making like $4,000. Why go back to school? Yeah. Um, and I remember having the conversation with my parents. And they said, no, we definitely want you to go back to school. Um, so yeah, okay, you know what? I followed their footsteps. I listened to them. I went back to school, uh, but it was a struggle. It's, I think I had three or four days of classes and then the other three days, if possible, I was working. Um, it was a great balance of doing stuff out in the practical world and then getting the theoretical class, you know, knowledge in class. Um, so anyway, so went to Sheridan, graduated, um, and worked as an assistant for a little while in that world. Then slowly by slowly, I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to, I want to work on larger and bigger projects. Um, and so then at that point in time, I was like, okay, I should start going into more like music videos and start working with film. Uh, so I started working as an assistant. I started loading, uh, uh 16 mil, 35 mil uh, projects. I did a handful of little shorts and, you know, even sometimes they were like little small featurettes that I worked basically for as a volunteer, as a camera assistant loading. And from there, it's just all of a sudden networking and contact. And then from one thing triggered to the next, next thing I know, I'm seconding on commercials and on music videos. And it was like, wow, this, this is fantastic. You know, as the projects start getting more and more elaborate, it was like I was loving it. I was having a great time. So flash forward to 2005. Um, I had just gotten married and my wife uh, and I wanted to have kids and my wife uh, got pregnant. You know, I mean, it was meant to be. And then I was like, OK, now I've been assisting. I've done some firsting as a, as a focus puller on some, you know, some movies, movies of the week and TV series. And I was like, OK, let me. I got to upgrade because otherwise I'm afraid I'll sort of be not to call it a rut, but I'll be stuck in where I am because I'm going to have overhead. I'm going to have family commitments that I got to make X amount of money. So I said, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm going to upgrade. I want to start shooting or operating. Um, so that summer, my God, it like I sat at home. I got tons of calls to work as a focus puller and I had to turn them all down. I said, no guys, I can't do it. And I had to, I had to stick to my guns because otherwise I was afraid I was going to fall back into the rut. 
Um, after that, in, as the kids were born, one of the first doors that opened up for me as a shooter was actually a lifestyle show. Um, it was, I think it was called Sarah's House with Sarah Richardson. It was a design show. Uh, there was a main camera. I was the second camera, and I was basically the camera that shot everything, made, basically watched paint dry. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't have too much interaction with Sarah. It was more just with the contractors, with the stuff in the background. It's like, okay, yep, we, uh, you know, this room's being painted. Let's go watch it, you know, and it was kind of fun. It's, um, I was able to get positives out of it going, yeah, you know, there's a very boring way to document a room being painted, or you could sit there going, hey, let me be creative. And oh my God, I think I drove the painters nuts. Yeah. Can you dip that paintbrush in the paint bucket again? Mm -hmm. Can you do this? Can you do this? And just, you know, getting all sorts of different kind of angles. Uh, so I, I, I loved it. I had a great time. Now, while I was doing that, I was still trying to, you know, get into, you know, into, let's say, larger productions. So I was always trying to keep my foot in the door with, you know, TV series and stuff like that. And how did you do uh, that? Like, what, what did you do to keep your foot in the door with those TV series? Was there anything specific that you did? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing, what this industry is, and I'm sure, I mean, I've, I only know this industry, so I'm assuming every industry is this way, but a lot of it is just networking it's who you know is what's going to, you know, is that person's going to get you the next gig. So yeah, I was constantly hustling, but it was like on a, I would say almost on, on a monthly basis, the few people I knew that were working in the unionized dramatic world, I kept calling them up saying, Hey guys, just want to touch base with you. And I mean, internet was, I mean, internet was happening, email was happening, but it was still a lot of people were still phone calls. So I'd be calling yeah. them up and just saying, Hey, just want to touch base with you. Just remind you that I exist. I mean, kind of brutal to say that, but I use that line quite a few times when I got a voicemail going, hey, I'm still around. I still live. I'm still alive. Just <laughs> give me a shout. Uh, just, you know, staying straight out, saying what it was, you know, the, the reason for my call. So it was a lot of networking. Um, and then interestingly enough, there was a show that I was working on as the C camera operator. It was called Happy Town. And the DP had just heard that on a show called Be and Erica, um, you know, there was some shuffling around and the B camera operator was leaving. And in that process, also the DP was leaving and there was a new DP coming in. And so this was Friday afternoon. I don't know how this deep one DP knew about the other DP. Anyway, I got the heads up. I called that new incoming DP on a Friday afternoon. I said, Hey, I hear you got a new gig starting Monday. Congratulations. I also hear there's an operator leaving. If you need someone, keep me in mind. And honestly, I think the phone rang 30 seconds later and I had the gig. Um, so it awesome. was honestly at the right time, right place, right time is what got me that gig. Um, and still that original DVP that tipped me off, I'm forever grateful, you know? Uh, so I ended up doing that. It was only for five, five weeks. Um, but then I think that ended in November and then come January, the A camera operator, uh, an operator, Sean Jensen, who I've worked with quite a bit, calls me up and he goes, Hey. I got a series going on. Uh, I'd love for you to be the B camera operator. And I was like, oh my God. So this is how it's happening. It's just one thing, do a great job. It'll lead to the next, to the next. So it was all, all about networking and just complete fluke. So I did that for well, numerous different series, worked with him, worked with other people. You know, it's basically all just, you know, connections. Uh, did that for a number of, number of years. And then I was like, you know what? I want to start focusing on DPN. So I started telling the DPs on the shows that I was getting onto, I was going, Hey, I know I'm being hired as the B camera operator or the A camera operator, but if there are any second unit DPing opportunities, please, you know, keep me in mind. And honestly, all of a sudden it felt like that's all I had to do was just ask, 
because uh, then I was on a set. It was a show called Damien. We're shooting a scene, and all of a sudden DP comes up and goes, hey, oh, no, I'm going to go off with the A camera operator to the next set. We're running a little behind, but will you mind staying behind and just finishing the scene for us? Just get those inserts that we need to do. And absolutely. So I stayed behind, did a handful of inserts. I mean, the nice thing was, you know what? I, I walked onto a set. I mean, I already worked, I already shot on that set as a big set. So now we're just doing the inserts. I didn't really have to do any lighting or anything. It was just really grab the camera and point it. And I was like, wow, this is super easy. So DP comes up to me after that and goes, hey, we got a full on second unit next week. Um, I want you to do it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I'll do it. And as soon as I turn around, I go, oh, shoot, what have I got myself into? Do <laughs> I even know how to light a scene? <laughs> you know, it's one thing to walk into a set that you've been working as an assistant or as an operator, and all you're doing is pick it up. But all of a sudden now, it's like, okay. So I was like, I know what I've committed. This is what I want to do, so let's do it. So if I can, uh, so if I can just to the audience, if I can uh, just remind us of two things. So two, two big life lessons here. One, fake it till you make it. And two... <laughs> ono would not have gotten anything if he had not just asked so just ask and then fake it till you make it yeah so anyway yeah sorry no, carry absolutely. on no you're you're absolutely right you you got, if you you don't ask you don't get you know and that's the way i am with a lot of things um and that fake it till you make it absolutely but i was in a position where you know i had like five days four days before we actually were going to shoot the second unit day i was like you know what googling how I, I, how to be I, a dop <laughs> yeah, but it's like I can't. I just can't make this up. So fortunate, it's you know on the bigger dramatic productions, there were diagrams of the spaces we were going to film in. Uh, there's some of the sets were already built, so I could walk up to the sets and have a look. And at a certain point, I grabbed the main unit DP and I said, "Hey, during lunch, can we go for a little walk to those sets um, and just pick your brain about how to do this?" And he said, "Absolutely." So next thing I know, we're over there having a look. And the fortunate thing with being as this position for me as, as learning and as, you know, sort of the second unit DP, I got to follow suit to what the main unit DP has said. He is in charge of the tone of the mood of everything. So what I realized very quickly, it's, and it's a great line. It's just come up and go, what were your thoughts? Because you're the main unit DP, you have an idea. I'm just going to follow your suit. So tell me. And so he actually started coming up going, okay, so I would do this coming through the window. I would do this overhead and I would fill him in with this and I would do this and this. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, this is great. So I'm writing all this down, writing it all down. And it's like, oh my God, I got the recipe to how to light these sets. And I love it. And so then of course, yeah, I'm sitting there. So I showed it to the gaffer. We set it all up. We start filming. And then of course there comes the curveball. Now the director goes, yeah, but I love to do this and this. And I was like, uh okay well then we did that so okay so we'll just move the lights around here we'll put the camera here and off we go and you know what oh my god i was so nervous that whole day but it worked we got the shots done in the amount of time we needed i thought it would look really good and the next day you know i'm back on main unit as an operator dp comes up goes hey how'd it go i go oh my god thank you so much it was so much fun and it goes good because we got another two days next week i was like <laughs> yeah so that started a relationship with with this DP, and I did this. I ended up doing this for two more shows with him, where I was his B camera operator, and then I'd spell off and do all these sort of second units. And tell us about and those so shows. Going, what okay. shows were they? So it was that was Damien, um, and then I did a show called Incorporated with him as well. For I was can't remember who the network was for, um, and then after that. My God, I can't remember what the third show was, uh, but set that tone 
Um, so I loved it. And so at this point in time, I'm sitting there in a path going, okay, you know what? I'm going to start working because this is also where in Toronto, and it happens around, I want to say around 2000, you started seeing a lot of sort of alternating DPs. Uh, the shows, the and more so, you know, the episodic stuff in in, in dramatic episodic stuff in Toronto was starting to get a, such a larger scale that they started having alternate DPs. Mm -hmm. So I started suddenly going, okay, if I'm on a show as an operator and there's alternating DPs, usually the alternating DP will sort of shoot his own second unit the week after he's finished his episode. And I was like, okay, so let me be careful and try to only get on jobs where I, there's only one DP. So that way I can have that second unit DP position. So there's a few jobs that I went in for interviews, met DPs, and we're talking and I go, okay, so do you have, you know, what's, what's the, what's, what's, you know, what's the makeup of the show? Is there an alternating DP? And they say, yes. And I was like, okay, you know what, right here. I said, I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to turn the gig down. Um, and they're like, why? I said, well, really it's, I want to focus on DPA. Um, but right now working as an operator, I'm on set. I'm watching how you guys are lighting everything. I can learn a lot. If I were to sort of say, Hey, you know what, this is it. I'm only going to DP from now on. I felt that I didn't have enough background knowledge for different situations and different um, areas that I could learn from. So I said, I'm not quite ready yet to upgrade hundred percent to DPN and I still want to learn. So there's a few shows that I turned down. There's a few shows that I did. Um, an interesting show that I loved that I worked on as an operator was Suits. Um, I was hoping there was going to be a lot of, you know, second units on that. And there ended up being almost none. Um, and so none of it came my way. So it's a show where, you know, I banked on, you know, my, my hunch of suddenly going, okay, let me only do a show with a single DP. And I did that. I did it for a season and a half. And then there was barely any second units. So I was like, uh, anyway, can't win them all. So what uh, would you say? That, a show Anna, what would you say is the, yeah. the, the most challenging uh, part of, of working as a cinematographer in DLP? What's, what do you think the most difficult part of the job is? And what's the most difficult project you've worked on? The, I would say the most difficult part of the job is, is basically juggling um, all the little, all the, all the elements. Um, and when I say elements, it's when you walk onto a set, you have so many different departments, everybody does their part and it's trying to know ahead of time going, okay, who's responsible for which elements? Um, and also talking to, you know, the showrunner or the producing director and talking to the director and the producer and suddenly going, okay, what is the vision for this scene? Mm -hmm. and trying to break down people's description of what they want to do onto paper and then simply going, okay, how are we going to execute this? How are we going to make this happen? Um, I would say that is the part that is the hardest. Um, it's just basically coming up with a plan. It's, you know, it's every story, um, as simple as it may be, you need a story before you can start filming. I have found sometimes I'll just sit there going, oh, well, let me just grab the camera and just get a bunch of cool shots. And it's like, great. Got a whole bunch of little shots, but you know what? Unless you time together with a story, they're just a bunch of shots and there's no story. So I find that is the hardest part is just coming up with a plan on how to tell the story at hand. And um, what, that, that's what, what I would say is the hardest. And what do you think the key is to creating great looking visuals? If, if you can go, kind of take us through what your process looks like. And I know you've mentioned earlier that you had, uh, you had a bit of a, a reader's digest uh, kind of, you know, uh, shotgun style uh, trial by fire 
um, working on the shows yep. that you'd worked on. But now that you've had some the benefit of some hindsight and you've, you've had a lot more experience under your belt, worked on a number of shows, uh, what do you think the key is to making them look great? I would say for me, my key and, you know, what if I'm going to come up with like, you know, like a like a checklist of a few little, you know, like almost like a cheat sheet. Um, I would say, honestly, look, look at your background. Look at what is the background that we're setting up uh, because you're going to put the actor in it. I mean, something as simple as this little this podcast we're doing. Look at the background. Look what I have and then look where I am sitting within it. Um, absolutely. I could turn. I mean, there's three more walls to the space. I could turn around and the other three are just not as pleasing as this. So I would almost always say you walk onto a set, let the set dictate where you're going to, you're, you're going to put the actors. Uh, then for me, another big thing is, you know what? I love to have things backlit. Um, so then it's like, okay, looking at the set, where are windows? Where could I have either? Is it, you know, hard sunshine coming through? Is it an overcast day? So it's just a bit of more of a soft light. Is it a night scene? Uh, can I have like moon coming through it or, you know, are we on the second floor of a building and I could have, you know, like a street light, which gives us that beautiful orange glow coming in as well. Um, so I would say, you know, then once you're on that set, you're looking around going, okay, where are the windows? How can I bring in some lights? How can I motivate stuff to, to make it, you know, moody and to make it interesting? Um, you know, and then from there, I would say the other thing is, and that's more just once we start shooting is giving your shots layers. And when I'm talking about layers, I'm talking about, you know, something in the background, this is the middle ground, and then maybe even something in the foreground, <laughs> um, you know, because that creates depth. And then you can start, you know, once you're telling the story, you can start playing with focus um, and then sitting there going, how can you then sort of, you know, uh, you know, accent certain pieces that need to be paid attention to or don't need to be paid attention to. Um, like a classic one is, you know what, if you have, if it's, if it's like a thriller and in the foreground, you have an ax, you know, start the shot with the ax and then roll over to the people talking in the background or the reverse, you know, what is the most important part, but that's, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing and, and, and layering the shot and, and giving it some depth. Um, I mean, some, some of my, I would say the hardest for me, what I always, and I still find I'm a little bit struggling with is night exteriors in a forest. Um, it's like, how do you make that look believable and realistic or, you know, does the audience buy it or not? Uh, but I gotta say, I find it the hardest yet. Some of the stuff of nicest stuff I've ever done has been that, uh, you add a little bit of, of fog in there, a little bit of mist with a hazer and, mm -hmm. oh my God, all of a sudden those, these shots just come to life and it's just beautiful. <laughs> Now, speaking of the hazer, so um, I, I've I've done a, a couple of uh, productions where a, a DP has come in and, and just you know hazed the living crap out of the set, and it does make a difference in my yeah. opinion. Uh, how important is the gear uh, to your process? How important is gear overall to the overall look of a shot? And, and, and more importantly, or maybe more specifically, um, what do you think the most important pieces of gear are to getting that look? Um, I absolutely. And like a, a night scene, like we're just talking about the hazer. I mean, what is amazing is it just gives the shots a little bit of texture. And especially if it's a night scene and there's a lot of darkness, having a little bit of haze overall, um, just brings up a little bit of that. So, so it's not as contrasty. The other thing is like, you know what, if you're backlighting a, a haze, you know, through a forest, all of a sudden it adds that, that mystique creepiness. Like, is it, is it, is it like, you know, is it just like a little fog that's kind of rolling over the ground? 
So, you know, once again, does it add to the story? Absolutely, because it makes it a little spookier if it's, if it's you know, if, if it's a thriller or whatever, it adds to that. So I would say for sure. Um, you know, I've done it once we were, I was on a show where we were filming in a pizzeria and there was one day we're shooting with, with, with a hazer and the stuff just, it looked cinematic. It had depth. You could see it. Some reason, for some reason, the following day, we weren't allowed to use the hazer. And oh my God, the shot looked so different. It was, I, I mean, I wish I actually had those shots to show mm-hmm. you guys, but it was like a night and day difference. And the only thing that changed was just a little bit of atmosphere. Um, so I, I would, it's, it's one of these tools that, you know what? Yes. If we're allowed to use it, we will. Uh, there are limitations sometimes, you know, and often it's the location that just doesn't allow us. So we don't use it. Um, and as for the rest of the gear, absolutely. I think all gear, um, is very important. It's very vital. Uh, the other thing is I love having the camera moving, but I do like the camera moving in a cinematic and stylized and in a steady motion. Um, personally, I'm not somebody who, I mean, I like handheld, but for me, handheld needs to be fairly steady. There needs to be just a little bit of wiggle. If it's just all over the place, then it's more like I'm on a boat and I'm getting seasick. Hmm. And just to me, that's too jarring. So I would sit there going, yeah, getting those kind of tools. Like, is it the fact that you have a dolly and you're handheld on the dolly and you're moving forward and that's how you're doing your push in because that way, at least your push in is fairly straight and there's a little bit of motion. Versus if people are walking with the camera, it has a different, more of a bounce. Right. Uh, so Motion that's where absolutely, axis. I would yeah. say they're going, yeah, and I would absolutely say they're going, that makes a huge difference. You know, at that point in time, do you sit there going, okay, do we go with the Steadicam? Does the Steadicam do that? Because the Steadicam on its arm, you know, takes out the up and down motion um, versus, you know, some of the little gimbals, they take out more the X and Y, but they don't take out the Z axis, which is the up and down axis. Uh, so I would say, yeah, you got to look at, at, you know, getting the right tools for the job. And once again, it comes down to what's the story? What are we trying to tell? How are we trying to tell it? Um, that's, that's where it comes down to, you know, then also when it comes down to lensing and cameras, if I know it's going to be like a horror show and we're doing a lot of nights and right now, I mean, you have cameras, you can go up to 3,200 ASA. So that's a light sensitivity that, Oh my God, you don't need a lot of lights to light it. You can go into a lot of places and just shoot available light, you know, shooting downtown on any, any busy street at night. You can almost now sit there going, you know what? I can just shoot with available light. I don't need to light it. So that makes a huge difference to help out, especially Mm -hmm. if we're going into like a big dark forested area and all of a sudden we've got to bring in a few lights. You know what? If I can get two or three more stops light out of, out of the camera and not having to bring in extra big heavy lights. Absolutely. Cause then once again, these, you know, the camera and their sensitivity, the less lights I need to use, it allows me to move faster because that's the one thing that it is at night. It's, you know what, everything just moves half the speed of, of normally you do a day. And if we can move in a faster and efficient way, and if it means I can still create the shots with less lights, then, you know, technically I should be able to get the, you know, more shots for the director, which in the end always helps the edit. So, uh, Clearly, having the right tools matters. As far as tools go, one of the big tools that seems to be um, getting a lot of press lately is AI. Um, how do you think AI is going to impact yeah. the film and television and video production business? And what do you think uh, people can do to get ahead of the AI curve? Or how, how can they best integrate AI into the work that they're doing now? 
Whew, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. A AI is definitely going to be changing things. Um, I think right now, you know, versus depending on what level of AI we're talking about. Uh, like, I, I, I kid you not, there is a commercial on TV right now that is cartoon based. Um, and I have a feeling that, you know what, and I've been trying to research and I can't come up with it, but I'm trying to, I have a feeling that that whole commercial was done AI. I think it was somebody at home punching in a bunch of keywords. It made an animated commercial. Then it then also, you know, they punched in probably the script that they did have locked in. And then basically from there, you know, all of a sudden the computer just spits out images. And from there, they were able to tweak their commercial. So I think it's, it's happening more than we think. Um, a thing I have been seeing, and I think where AI is helping some directors is often I'm noticing some directors are coming out there and uh, they're sitting there going, you know what? I, I have a vague idea of what I want, but I'm not hundred percent sure what I want. And that's where I find, you know what, if you can punch in some stuff in AI and go, Hey, punch in these keywords, something pops up and it's like, okay, that could be inspiring to people. And that's where I can see that a lot could happen also in, in the prep work. Um, is where I see AI definitely helping out. Now, come down the road, it's like this little commercial. You know what? If we're going to see more and more of that, and if people aren't, you know, are okay to just use, let's say, fictitious characters, then I could see AI coming up and, and doing all these, you know, these shows for us, basically. So I, I, I feel it's scary. I feel it's scary. It's uh, there's a lot of unknowns. It could go any any which direction, um, and it really, I guess, at the end of the day, it comes down to us as the consumer: are we are we buying it? Are we enjoying it? Um, is that world? Now, that having said, on some productions, there are AI is happening, and it's more happening in the, in the stunt world, and it is helping out because there'll be actors. They'll come in. They'll do full three body three D body scans. Then they'll use a double, somebody that looks similar, the stunt coordinator or stunt person will do the action and then they'll morph those two together. And at that point in time, it's like, okay, now the stunt was done with basically the exact likeliness <laughs> of that actor. Um, and it was done in a safe manner. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that sense, that is happening. You know, I mean, that's where this whole strike was going on about, about the actors and everything was going, okay, to what extent does this now uh, allow, you know, for manipulation of things? So that's, oh my gosh, the unknown. <laughs> so speaking of jobs, uh, when you are not working, what do you do? And, and how do you, how do you find that you get your next gigs? Uh, when I'm not working, I feel that I'm constantly hustling. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how I would say I've been in the industry for close to 30 years and it still feels like I'm on a daily, like on a daily basis, I'm hustling for my next gig. Um, you know, I have seen, you know, tried true and proven that over time, it's always been me reaching out to people, calling them up, reminding them I exist, or just cold calls going up. And I mean, cold calls, I would say my success ratio is about one in a thousand um, in getting an actual gig out of a cold call. And I'll be honest, because often it's like, yeah, I have no idea what kind of a person that on the other end could, there could be. Um, mind you, you're, you're proof of the pudding. You know, this was a cold call that I initiated with you back was it October, November. And mm. look at the relationship that we have now. So mm. <laughs> it does, it can happen. 
Uh, but otherwise than that, it's like I'm like right now. Yeah, it's, it's January. I'm in a bit of a slow period. Uh, so I'm either trying to work on some personal projects uh, just because I have the time and I enjoy crafting images. And it's actually what I'm finding interesting is. <laughs> sorry, while I'm creating these and making these videos, what I'm finding is really interesting is it's showing me and it's teaching me a little bit of the production side of things mm -hmm. of going, you know, it's not just grab the camera and go off and shoot. It's like, okay, I have a story. I've written it down. Okay. What's the location? Uh, when can we get into that location? Okay. The actor that I want to use, when are they available? Just trying to orchestrate all these things. And all of a sudden I find I'm getting a lot more respect for all the other little pieces and all the pieces that make the puzzle function. Cause there's a lot of little elements. Um, and then the most interesting part, what I'm really enjoying now is in the editing process. I'm suddenly going, okay, I had a rough idea. I had all these shots. I had an idea of how I want the story to go. And now I'm in the process of editing it together and I'm suddenly going, oh my God, no, it's uh, that idea I had isn't working for me. It's just too slow. There doesn't feel mm -hmm. to be anything, but luckily I've had a handful of different shots that I'm now actually combining them together and it's helping to tell the story. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing it to, to stay busy. Um, and what else? Yeah. Reaching out to people. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot of coffees. Um, you know, whenever there's any form of a social event that pops up, part of it is, yeah, cause I want to have fun. You know, you want to see people, but it's also mm -hmm. the opportunity to see and meet new people, uh, through here in Toronto. You know what? There is a big hub of a lot of technology, you know, rental houses and they on a regular basis will usually have open houses, you know what? Yeah. Part of it is to go see the gear, mm -hmm. but part of it is also just to go see my fellow colleagues and to reach out and talk to them. Uh, you know, for example, I went to one in November, ran into a DP. Next thing I know, after the seminar, we went off and had coffees for two hours, you know, and in that conversation, we just talked about all sorts of stuff. He gave me a whole bunch of pointers on, you know, on the, his thoughts on how to, how to network. And I was going, okay, this, I didn't expect it to be that positive, but it turned out fantastic. So uh, big, again, big takeaways, uh, ask, because if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Fake it till you make it and network, yep. network, network, which just means going out and talking to people and, you know, figuring out what makes them tick and what they're looking for. And then uh, just trying to be available so that when opportunities arise, you've got the chance to be the person that they think of. Absolutely. And then the other thing I would say in there is, you know, I mean, today's technology, we all have phones and, you know, and in the phone, you can shoot little videos. You can even edit them on your phone. Um, I would say practice, practice and practice. Um, I've had already a few situations where people have come up and they said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this and this. Um, can you show me any examples of stuff that you've done along the, that genre? And yeah, I mean, it could be something as simple as a product shot, you know, is, is it somebody pouring some whiskey into a glass? You know, do you put ice cubes in it? Do you not, you know, something as simple as a little 30 second, you know, call it a whiskey spot or whatever, you know, there's nothing from us saying, stopping me from doing it at home and experimenting. Um, so I would definitely say experiment a lot, uh, practice, do stuff and, and cut it together. And then at some point when you do have it done, don't be shy showcase it, show people, you know, because feedback is the only way you're going to learn. Um, and then that having said, the other thing I do is, is watch a lot of TV. I sit there and I sit there going watching TV and, and sit there going, okay, what are, what's the story that's being told? How are they telling the story? But also what are the visual mediums that they're using to tell these stories? 
um, you know, like a lot of the, you know, like right now I'm into a lot of the British uh, crime dramas and you look at the lighting there, that looks a lot more available light. Um, mm. And it's like, yeah, you know what? But I buy it. It looks great. You know, and there, I mean, I got to say that right now, the Brits, story-wise, they got fun of some of the best writers out there. Yeah. Uh, just phenomenal. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's, you know, you're watching shows and you're sitting there going, oh, okay. And especially now, because, you know, everything's on a streaming service. If I'm watching something and all of a sudden I go, hey, how'd that shot happen? Or what was the transition from that shot to that shot? You know what? Pause, play back, hit that, ten, that little 10-second rewind switch push it and watch it. And I've done it a few times where I watched it over and over and over. And there was one that I couldn't get. So you know what? I actually videotaped it or recorded it with my phone so that I could scroll it back super slowly to try to figure it out because it was happening so fast in the 10 seconds I didn't see it. And it's like, yeah. you know what? I hate to say it, but when I was in college in 1991, my God, it, yeah, I had to put a video camera in. <laughs> 70 years ago, I was a young man <laughs> yeah. just coming out of the Dust Bowl. <laughs> no, but it's incredible. Technologies are great. You know, I mean, as we just wrapped up saying how AI could, you know, potentially, you know, change all that. You mm -hmm. know what? Right now, you use it to your advantage. You know, experiment and play around. So uh, with all of that said, uh, for any young and up-and-coming filmmakers, any people who are looking at getting into the business or who, who are struggling to kind of find some traction uh, in this business, what advice would you give to these young pups these uh greenhorns uh as they're as they're trying to as they're trying to make it in the in, in tinseltown north or any, anywhere for that matter what advice do you have for for youngins coming up in the business um, absolutely for the for the young ones i would say right now um probably the the easiest place to to, to start looking and i mean i gotta say using tools like facebook uh go out and try to you know be a pa on as many productions as possible um, sure, maybe you already have shot some stuff or you want to shoot some more stuff or you're directed or, you know, you already know what kind of, you know, direction you want to go. Just get on on set and watch. Um, from being on set and offering up your services for free, you can learn a ton of stuff. Um, and honestly, I don't see, you know, most often if, if people are coming up to me and saying, hey, I want to offer up my services for free, you know what, I'll take it. You know, because everybody helps and you then at that point in time, you could take away from it what you want. But it allows you to get on set and to network. Uh, even last year, I did a handful of little small volunteer jobs and my regular guys that I wanted to, and gals that I wanted to work with weren't available. So I went to the production manager, said, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm stuck to trying to find crew. Are, do you have any recommendations? They recommended like three, you know, three key people for the key positions. And all of a sudden I was like, great. From that, I did another gig after that, and I hired all those three people back because it's like, you know what? Yeah, all of a sudden, it's like these people are willing. They're learning. They weren't shy to ask questions. When I said, "Hey, you know, go get me that apple box," they actually went off and grabbed that apple box. Right, you didn't get any. You didn't get any honey crisps. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, I, w I would say right now, try to get out there and volunteer. Um, you know, the last year here in Toronto, partially, well, because of the strike in the States, it, it was a really slow year. And I was shocked how much is being filmed in Toronto once you start looking for it. Um, you know, there are a lot of productions going on. There's, you know, all in different stages of production. Um, and almost all of them, you know, if you're coming out to volunteer as a position, absolutely, they're, they're, they're in need of people. Awesome. Well, 
I guess that'll do it. Uh, so, Ono, thank you so much for uh, participating participating in what really will be our inaugural uh, podcast as part of the Billet Media YouTube channel and uh, and podcast. Um, it's been great. Uh, I think it's it's I, I, having worked with you in the past. I can say it's an absolute pleasure, and you're definitely someone who knows what they're doing. Uh, is great to work with, and uh, is deserving of all of the successes that you've you've been able to uh, achieve in your career. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, thanks for sharing some of your experiences, your tips, your tribulations and your trials. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks again, Arnold. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Awesome. You too.